Hello everybody and welcome back to Eyes of the Mize. My name is John and per usual, but in a new setting, that's Ian. I'm now an hour ahead of him. Yeah, this is going to be interesting now because normally when we were recording, we were recording at 8pm Ian's time. Uh, but now we're recording at nearly 8pm my time and now he's an hour ahead. It so now got hopefully I don't weird. Have to stay up till, yeah, hopefully I don't have to stay up until like 1 midnight uh, editing now. I mean... That's a nice thing, I guess? Question mark. No, yeah, so, um, like John said, I've completed my move across the country, got stuff set up internet-wise, computer-wise, to the point where I can basically start podcasting again. I could have probably done it last week, but I was still, like, moving and unpacking things and building desks and stuff. So I was on vacation, quote-unquote, for house hunting search. Which I found, if you follow me on Twitter. It's it seemed pretty... relatively quickly during your house hunting vacation. In terms of finding it? Yes. Oh, no. I already basically had the place lined up like the first day. <laughs> I signed yeah. the paperwork day one. Because the very first day I signed in, I already checked the places around here. Um, so, okay, cool. I, I kind of like this apartment complex. Rind it up. I checked another one, too. And then that night I looked online, found that there was a whole other different, like, room layout that they hadn't showed me and i was like hey you've got this one room layout that has a den in it can i see that one salt was like yep this is mine i want this and like yeah we've got one actually one floor up from that and i'm like i'll take that one (laughs) it's ten dollars ten dollars more a month to move up one floor but who cares it's ten dollars yeah ten dollars a month to move up a floor i think that was worth it oh yeah well especially since i would have been the floor i would have been on the second floor but now i'm on the third floor so yeah, they were, they were like, yeah, plus anyways, someone's probably going to be putting in an offer like tonight and you might not even get the second floor. So you'll probably have the third floor anyway. And it turns out it was. Somebody was already looking at the second floor, put in the uh, request for that one. And lo and behold, I have a sick new apartment. Yay. Yeah. Um, streams should be coming soon. We'll talk about that at the end. But first, yeah. John. But first. Uh, we're going to turn our eyes to the community real quick. Oh, I didn't even do the episode title. No, because it's a great episode title, too. <laughs> it, this is episode 91. Dilly Dilly. It's C19 and SCG Philly. Also, we are not sponsored by Budweiser. Yeah, that's... I'm not going to say the word, but it's basically water. It's... It's if not you're looking great. for a full-bodied beer, don't... don't <laughs> if you're looking don't. for a decent beard, just don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to be or shame people. Bud Light is very good at what it does. It doesn't, but it's not. It, what it does is not taste. Anyways, <laughs> what it does is not what I want for my beer. But anyway, we're eyes in the community. Talk, yeah. yeah, we're gonna turn eyes in the community real quick because GP Chiba uh, is one of the uh, GP drafts that has the had the uh, draft excuse qualifiers. Me, the, the beta draft qualifier, except it was unlimited draft um, and for those of you who watched the GP Vegas draft, it was insane. Uh, there was a Mox Emerald, there was uh, a Time Vault, there was you know, several dual lands or whatever, but GP Chiba, I think, gave Vegas a run for its money as far as the cards that were opened. GP sure, Chiba delivered. They straight yeah. delivered. Sure, they're white-bordered, but, you know, some of these cards, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> so, pack fresh Ancestral Recall, pack fresh Mox Ruby, pack fresh Time Twister. Pack fresh lotus. <laughs> they had a black yeah. lotus open too. They also had a savannah, a tundra. They got an Armageddon. 
It was bananas. So the players had a time with opening sweet cards. Yeah, they got four, the and were there. four of the nine power, which is insane in one draft. And then the next beta draft is supposed to be happening at uh, Gen Con, uh, which I believe is next weekend or, the, or like the weekend after that. Uh, it's the weekend of the Pro Tour. Yes, but yeah, that's the awkward part. It's the weekend of the Pro Tour. No, no, no. But here's the fun thing. So I actually like looked at it. It, um, it was something Gabby's mods and I were talking about in chat. If you fail to make day one of the Pro Tour or day two of the Pro Tour, because remember, it starts on Friday. And if you, in yeah, and if you if you whiff on day two, you can literally get into a car or fly down to Indianapolis. It's a drive. It's like a w- overnight drive, and you can get into Indianapolis and be there for a qualifier on Saturday. <laughs> you can still try to spike that event if you miss I think you on also the pro tour. Need to get a Gen Con ticket, which is going to be the harder sell. I think. I'm sure you could manage that somehow. Finagle, finagle a buddy to be like, yo, hook me up with your pass for the day so I can go to the beta draft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because what other opportunity are you going to have to play with beta cards? Exactly. Plus, yeah, it's there's a way to do it. It might not be cheap, but there is a way. <laughs> That's how we figured that, it out. Actually, I was kind of like, uh, yeah, distance works. So, but yeah. There you go. But as we mentioned, we're going to talk about Commander eighteen, Commander twenty eighteen, as well as uh, Ian's time at Star City Games Open Philly. Uh, not in the main event because you never found your trios. But yeah, I just I just realized you said Commander nineteen in the I know episode I blame you. title. No, you were the one you who wrote the title. No, I wrote eighteen and you said nineteen. M nineteen, C eighteen, they're all the same thing. <laughs> the corset, the corset thing screws with people so bad. Yeah, remember the, the corset thing is so that corset ends. It's in like the- it's like cars. It's like how cars that you buy at the beginning of twenty nineteen, which is next year, will be twenty twenty models, not twenty nineteen models. Yeah, because car same- the car model year starts in the summer. Magic model yeah. year starts in the summer as well, except for exactly. commander sets, which is the current year. It's weird. Nomenclature, fun with names. Anyway, SCG Philly. It was fun. End of story. Moving on. <laughs> no. Um, so with the move up here to the D.C. area, uh, be anticipating a few more SCG kind of, you know, tournament uh, tournament reviews. Recaps? Recaps. That's the word. Thanks. <laughs> completely blanked on that one. Anyway, tournament recaps because – if there is an SCG event within about four hours or so of Washington, D.C., that means I'll be able to go. Why? Because I can go on a weekend and drive back after the event is over on Sunday night and be home in time to go to work in the morning on Monday. Because hey. if I get home at 1, I don't have to be in actually until 9 anymore at this place. It's weird. My schedule's changed. I don't have to be until 9. So I can actually kind of get in at like 1 a.m. and still get like a good six, seven hours of sleep. It'll be great. Yeah. Uh, so anyway... It was held, though, in Philly this week, which is about 30 to 40 minutes from my parents' house. So it was kind of cool. I didn't even have to get a hotel room. I just drove home (laughs) each night. Um, But it wasn't in Philly. It was in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, which is like 25, 30 minutes west. It's close enough-ish of the city. Yeah, it's close enough. It's kind of like people saying Dallas-Fort Worth, and you're like, and in Arlington's like, what about me? And it's like, shh, be quiet, Arlington. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, it was in a very, it was an event space room under the casino floor. So it was like a basement kind of thing. 
of the Valley Forge Casino. So it's kind of funny. Everyone's like, oh, it's really cold down here. Yeah, it's like, in someone comment, it's just like playing in your basement. It's like, uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. I'm not knocking on Star City Games, by the way, on this. I mean, event space is pricey and they're, you know, they don't have all the money in the world to spend. But it was still a great little event space because right upstairs, since it is a casino, they had a little like food court right there too. Yeah. So there was a nice little food court in there and... Um, you know, magic players want as they are for degeneracy with cards. You know, you could bomb out an event and go play in the casino upstairs. It's kind of like Vegas all over again. Hmm. But it turns out actually my third round opponent of the modern classic I did on Sunday did just that. He's like, eh, yeah, no, I wanted to. I'm dropping and going play, going to the tables. I'm like, all right, good luck at the tables. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, so it, it was a smaller event. It kind of felt like, so it, Vegas, it was like way smaller than Vegas. Uh, I've been to a few other Grand Prix. Um, this felt like they kind of took two thirds of the Grand Prix away and then just had that amount of space for it. But it was, for the amount of people that were there, it was the perfect space. So I'll say that it was great. It actually got really cold down there. Like I regret, I regretted not having a hoodie or something like that. But I think that's just general advice when you ever you go to a big event because they crank the AC in there and having even like a jacket or like a sweater is usually pretty helpful because there will always be that game where you end up the, as the poor soul who gets stuck directly under the air vent for 50 minutes and you freeze. Sometimes it feels nice. Like when we're, when you're in Vegas, sometimes yeah, it does. But other times it's like, Oh my God, I'm freezing cold. Like I was actually some games, like I'd start shivering my opponents. Like, you okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm just cold, <laughs> which is weird yeah. for me. Um, I did go solo. I tried to get like John mentioned, I tried to get a team. Didn't really work out. Um, I actually did get one or two people DMing me that I didn't really know mm-hmm. on Twitter, but they're like, Hey, play standard. And I'm like, Oh, and I, I, the reason why I was kind of like reticent to play standard is I haven't actually sleeved up a standard deck since teamer energy was still legal in the format last summer. <laughs> Army life. Uh, has just been, what a time to be alive. Army life has just been crazy enough that I haven't really had a chance to touch standard. So I didn't want to come in and, you know, be a kind of rock or you know a boulder dragging down a, a team for that so um hopefully there isn't another team event coming up in the next couple months hopefully if i decide to get a team in that time span it'll be better because i did however get to meet a lot of people who i had only really interacted with on twitter because you know i was on west coast they were on the east coast they did sg events kind of hard to you know pull that off when you're on the west coast but uh, so I got to meet a bunch of cool people like, oh no, I closed the tab, didn't I? <laughs> womp, womp. Now, uh, Dylan, John, Ryan, um, I got to see Allie again, Archie Mebo. Um, mm-hmm. I got to meet Cat Light, uh, the Bant Spirits evangelist, who is, she loves the deck. Um, she's one who like a lot of times when you go look up band spirits list at SCG things, it's her list, which is pretty cool. Um, I got to hang out with, uh, Aaron. He's behind the turn one thoughts. podcast, uh, yep. a modern specific podcast. He's a real cool. Guy. I had a nice dinner chat with him actually, um, at the food court. And I finally got to meet, uh, Emma handy, which was great. <laughs> it was, it was kind of funny. Like I went to go me as I like, kind of like did a, are we gonna handshake? And, and she was like, "Do you do hugs?" I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, okay, cool. Because it was one of those like it was kind of like kind of like are we going for a handshake, are we going for a hug kind of meet. Because she was like, 
interact with her tons and tons and it was like finally getting to meet her it was like great but yeah it was like one of those like remember kids don't automatically assume people are cool with hugs yes personal space issues check first which was cool i just thought it was funny like how it was like kind of like like the tentative like uh uh okay cool (laughs) always remember boundaries are a thing oh yeah for sure but that said, uh, it was a great little event. Um, I did two little tune-up events on Saturday. I took Grixis Death Shadow, the bauble variant that uh, Ben Friedman kind of put together uh, lately that he's kind of tuned up. It's running four baubles and a uh, four of Mistress Bauble and two Faithless Looting instead of a couple of the card draw package and serum visions. I like the bauble. I don't like Faithless Looting. Like there were, I think I only cast Faithless Looting once where I was actually happy casting it. Every other time I was like, I kind of wish this was simply just Serum Visions. Yeah, the weird thing with Faithless Looting is you really need to be using the flashback side of it a lot. Uh, like the reason why Marty Pyromancer can get away with it is that they can discard their excess ones to their Faithless Lootings or they can pitch them to their Bedlam Revelers. Um, and then when you're flashing it back, you're actually getting ahead. Uh, because, and then that can get into the whole thing that, uh, I remember back in way early episodes when we talked about how Storm, uh, was a different deck when you looked at it versus playing Desperate Ravings versus Faithless Looting, where Faithless Looting puts you down a card, whereas Desperate Ravings puts you at card parity. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. Um, now I just don't like Faithless Looting. I'm probably going to tweak the, tweak the build a little bit. It was fun, like, there were times where I'd get, like, double baubles and be like, bobble bobble before i played a land drop and i'd be like bobble myself okay cool i like that bobble my opponent okay land fetch shock thought sees you yeah and then i knew what to take it was like being able to bobble first see what they have and then like then kind of shuffling like knowing what they were going to need to draw or what they were drawing so you get like perfect information for their next draw step you can thought see something that might be an innocuous turn one play. It'd be like, Listen, oh, you're, on, you're only one step away from lantern control at that point. Yeah. the the worst <laughs> The worst part was though is since I was so I had not played with Mistress <clears throat> Bauble before. I think there were about four instances in different games that over the weekend where I just completely forgot about the Bauble trigger. That's one of the, like the delayed draw triggers are the worst. Yeah. The uh, so. We actually called a judge on it, and I got the judge ruling. And you can verify this, John, since you are a judge. But so when I it already had been their first main, they'd already cracked a fetch, you know, play the land, and I'm like, oh crap, I didn't draw the bauble. So we're like, hey, judge, question on this one. Since it is a, even though it is a you draw a card, it is not a may ability. However, it is considered a missed trigger. Therefore, it is a benefit. It's also a beneficial trigger since you are drawing a card. Therefore, it's up to your opponent to whether or not they let you draw the card or not. And obviously, your opponent is never going to let you draw a card unless it is the last, unless you basically would lose for drawing a card. Yep, that sounds right. So that's what it was. That's how I was told it was. Again, if you're a judge, I mean, John said, cool, whatever, but if, you know, correct us if we're wrong. Yeah, it's a whole, there's a whole thing with what's a, what's a, what counts as a detrimental trigger. Uh, but in like 99% of cases, drawing a card is a beneficial trigger. Um, so it's not it, so with beneficial triggers it's and most in most cases of missed triggers uh, it's usually put on the opponent. Yeah. Um and if and if you miss a detrimental trigger that's that gets a little bit more hairy. Yeah. Um 
Because, like, if you miss a beneficial trigger, then you put it on the opponent. Like, when I was back up in GP uh, Milwaukee uh, a couple years ago for a for a Kaladesh Grand Prix, um, I missed a fretwork colony trigger. And my opponent and my opponent was at, was asked if they wanted to put it on the stack, and they said nope when they could have. But by the way, fretwork colony was a one of the black one one insect at uncommon that said that at the beginning of your upkeep, uh, you lose one life and put a plus a plus counter on fretwork colony. Didn't even look that up. Huh. But that was the one where it's like it's like a half detrimental trigger, half beneficial trigger. So the opponent so the judge asked my opponent if they wanted to put that on stack. Yeah. It's it's kind of fun. Triggers are really weird depending on how they go. But anyway, so I played the modern classic, which is their I played the open, which is their big premiere event, but they'll have the classics, which are kind of like your second chance at like getting decent stuff. But we talked about this a while ago, how they changed their prize structure and yeah, realizing that you only get prize tickets out of it kind of stunk. Um, I kind of mathed it out. There are 285 players in the, they said, announced 285 players in the Modern Classic. So assuming there are a fair number of draws, 6, 2, and 1 basically guaranteed you top 32, which is cashing, or 300 prize tickets. Yep. There were about two, two to three potential X3s with amazing breakers that could cash as soon as you pick up your third loss and i knew that i was going to have bad breakers because i lost in round one and had an opponent drop in round three that i was going to have just utter crap breakers yep so i just as soon as i went x i went two and three and then just played another game and then my dad's like hey philly's game and i'm like heck yeah i'm going to a philly's game tonight (laughs) so i had to go to a baseball game afterwards I mean, if you get the chance to go to the home a home game of one of your favorite sports teams, you kind of have to go. Yeah, well, my dad also got seats on the field for Ooh. really cheap because it was like tickets day of. So because nice. because it was also the the night before the game had got rained out, so it was a reschedule of like that game. Oh, so they made they even made better. It, yeah, they made it a, a, a double header, so it was great. Um, nice. Got to see two home runs and our starting pitcher Vince Velasquez pitched seven innings with seven strikeouts, two hits. No runs nice. given up. Nice. That's pretty good. Anyway, sports ball. Yeah, sports ball. <laughs> anyway, so some fun plays from the weekend before we get we'll – I'll mention a couple of these real quick before we dig deep into some of the cool new previewed cards from command, the new Commander set. So uh, my elves – so I beat Elves, Jund, and Storm. Boo. And I, Yeah. Uh, uh, so round one, I lost the mirror. Round two, beat Elves. Round three, beat Storm. Round four, lost to Mardu Pyromancer. Round five, lost to Coco, Combo, the, the Druid uh, Vizier. Devoted Druid Vizier, yeah. Yeah, and then, well, that's one of my plays I'll talk about. And then I beat Jund in a pretty good knockdown drag out. Actually, no, I just did a dang good job beating the midrange. I will say this. The current build of Death Shadow for Grixis does a great job at fighting midrange, um, the midrange grind. But... Against my elves opponent, I spent like a minute and a half in the tank because I'm like mathing out things, trying to figure out blocks. I had just had, I had like a I had a, a Snapcaster Mage, um, a, and a Liliana with, I had like a Snapcaster Mage, oh, a Snapcaster Mage, a Grim Lava Mancer, and a Liliana that I just emblemed. The uh, last hope. So I was yep. going to get two zombies. And I'm like trying to figure out, okay, how do I not die with the zomb- two zombies I'm going to get? And I'm sitting with an explosive engine or engineer explosives and a Gurmag Angler in my hand. 
and I sat for two minutes in a tank trying to figure out how I don't die. I'm just like, eventually, oh, screw it. I'll just play the Gourmet Angler. Not realizing until I'm looking at it almost about to play that I'm like, oh, yeah, it says zombie on the type line. I'll get three zombies instead of two. Yeah. <laughs> so that changed the combat math to the point where my opponent had 17 power and toughness with two Elvis Archdruids. So basically it gave every other elf plus two plus or plus one plus one. So everything else had plus two plus two, but the Archdruids had plus one plus one. So my opponent, I play the Grimag Angler, get the three zombies, pass a turn. My opponent just plays a land, flunges, just attacks with everything. So I line up my block, a Grimag Angler on one of the Elvish Archdruids. Then I put my Snapcaster Mage in front of the other Elvish Archdruid. And then I put zombies in front of a bunch of the things. And I put my Grim Lavamancer in front of a... Wait, what's Elvish Archdruid? Is it 1-1 one, one or 2-2? Two, two? It's a 1-1, one, one, I believe. Oh, it's a 1-1? One, one? No, so I put the Grim Lavamancer in front of one of the Elv- other Elvish Archdruid and put the... I misblocked, actually. I could have wiped their entire board because they had the O2 Elf... I forget which the one. The O2 Elf? Oh, Devoted Druid. They had a Devoted Druid out. I there you go. I could have blocked a Devoted Druid with my Snapcaster Mage instead I blocked something else. But anyway, after damage happened, everything else died. <laughs> because even though I blocked a bunch of 2-2s two and a bunch of 3-3s three and 4-4s, four when the Gurmag Angler blocked, Archdruid died. That meant the other Archdruid lost a power and toughness, so it dropped to one. It had one damage marked on it from blocking with the Grim Lava Mancer. Therefore, that one died, and then everything else cascaded down to power toughness where it would die from the damage marked on it. Nice. It was great. Um, and then I just started just winning from there because my opponents didn't draw anything else. They, they shook the hand. Next turn, I got three more zombies, and then yeah. five zombies. It was bad. Anyway, next game... Or next round, I was against Mardu. Or I was against the uh, next thing I was uh, the Mardu Pyromancer opponent. They had an ensnaring bridge on board. I had two Gurmag Anglers, and they were at 10 life. They had one card in hand, so I couldn't attack. I had a Liliana that was at five on the board as well. So they had no creatures. They just had the engineer, uh, the ensnaring bridge. They go to play Blood Moon. I'm at five life. I have two fetch lands I've been leaving uncracked. So I'm like, with Blood Moon on the stack, I crack both fetch lands, go to three, which is bolt territory. Yep. I get my two basics. I say, okay, Blood Moon resolves. Do you have bolt? He's like, no, I don't have bolt. Pass the turn. I'm like, okay, one turn. Pull off the top. Engineered explosives, my only single out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So I play the engineered explosives for three colors because remember I had, okay, so I had five lands out and three of them had just become mountains. So I had a, three mountains, a swamp and an island and it has sunburst, you know, you got to pay the three different colors into it. Yeah. Engineered explosives is a weird card. So I paid it's X, but it gets counters based on however many colors are paid for X. I had three colors pay for X. And I had the two mana to activate it right away to destroy it. So I was able to, I blew up my own Liliana, blew up the Blood Moon, and blew up the uh, Ensnaring Bridge and just swung for Leith with my two, uh, my two stupid uh, fish. Yeah. So fun engineer explosives question. If my opponent controls Athalia, um, how many count, and I'm playing a three color deck, how much do I have to pay in order for it to get? Well, you have two to counters. pay to get two counters. You have to pay three. Nope, I can pay no? two. You only two. I oh, announced that I'm. I'm announced that I'm paying. I'm casting it for one. 
pay, but I have to pay one more, so it's one in X. So one and one, so I have to pay two, and I can pay two colors of mana in some. Oh wow, really? So you can yeah. actually pay. You can play it for announce it for one, pay two different colors into it using the Thali attacks to count. Wow, that's cool. Yep, yeah. same trick works if you're trying to do it for one. You can announce that you're paying it for zero, pay the one, get one sunburst counter on it. That's pretty cool. All right, it's, I'll have to remember that. Really cool. Yeah, it's a weird card. Um, last sunburst one. Sunburst is weird in general. Last one. Coco, when they have their nut draws, that deck is just so stupid and resilient. So um, I had basically it got down to – where's the thing? I have I have my actual notes on it. Uh, sorry, I just looked it up. Elvish Archstrude is a 2-2. Oh, it is a 2-2. Okay, so I did block it so that the Archdruid would die. No, I put a zombie in front of the Archdruid, not the Grim Lava Mancer. I put that in front of one of the uh, Dwinan's Elite Warrior Tokens. There you go. So that would die. Um, yeah, so anyway, I got myself down to 12. Or I thought he's my opponent. I'm at 14. I thought he's him, so I take two. I'm at 12. They have on the battlefield a... They already have the Devoted Druid out. I look at the hand. It's two Kitchen Finks, one Duskwatch Recruiter, one Vizier of Remedies, one Eternal Witness, and one Postmortem Lunge. Now, Postmortem Lunge, if you're not familiar with this card, is X and a Phyrexian Black. Return target creature with CMC X to the battlefield. It gains haste, and then you sacrifice at the end of the turn. If you know anything about this combo, I look at this hand, and I literally sat there for three minutes trying to figure out, do I not die to this hand? The answer is, you don't, unless you have multiple redundant counter spells. I had a um, a stubborn denial, but I did not have enough to make it ferocious to just outright counter the spell. So unfortunately, they had four mana and the devoted druid that they could pay two more mana, so they could just cast it, pay the uh, the force spike tax on it. And I had a hand of like. I only had two mana available. I had two lands. I was stunted on land. So I just used one for my thought season. I only had one for counter spells. I had like a Grim Lava Mancer I just drew that wasn't going to get me anywhere. I had I had also chained three thought scours and had not hit a single Gurmag Angler. So I had like 20 cards in my graveyard. <laughs> it was bad. Like Yeah. I just I got on the bat side of luck. But anyway, this this hand Eternal Witness can get, if I make him discard Postmortem Lunge, I just play it po- uh, Eternal Witness, get back Eternal Witness, and can still, or they can just stick Vizier of Remedies, then go pay a bunch of mana, like get a whole bunch of mana, Eternal Witness, get back the Postmortem Lunge, and they can just go off. So I had to, I was basically priced into taking their Vizier of Remedies, because no matter what, they were going to get back whatever I made them dump in the yard. Um, yeah. So the combo is, with that Devoted Druid, you play the Vizier of Remedies, Instead of putting the, the counter on the minus one, minus one counter, when you tap Devoted Druid for mana, you can put a minus one, minus one counter on to untap it. But Vizier of Remedy states that if one or more one, minus one, minus one counters will be put on a creature you control, that many minus one, minus one counters minus one are put on instead. So basically it reads Devoted Druid just untaps and, and retaps for mana for free, basically. So you, he's, he'd said, I'm going to generate a billion mana, which is a deterministic number. I was like, deterministic? He's like, exactly. And then he's like, I'm going to go play my Duskwatch Recruiter. Then I'm going to use my Duskwatch Recruiter's Recruit ability. Look at the top three cards. I'm going to just basically 
I'm like, he's like, do I want to go through Pathos each time? I'm like, dude, just literally dump your, just literally flip your library upside down and grab your walking ballista and go. So they look for, I'm like, he's like, do you want to, I'm like, just shortcut it. I know what you're going to do. So he shortcuts, grabs the walking ballista, puts it on the battlefield, say I cast it. So it's a 1 million, 1 million. And then I shoot you for 20. And I'm like, man, <laughs> you could have shot me for a million, but I'm at 12. So he just puts me a negative eight. And I'm like, yeah, it's good. I just literally, there's nothing I could do. It's so bad. Just thought seizing your opponent. And then seeing that you literally cannot win. Yep. Um, but it was fun. I had a great tournament. And that's enough rambling about a little tournament that I played in. Um, seriously, though, uh, if you do go to an SCG event, it's fun. Uh, it's not as large as GPs. Still go if there's one in your area. Uh, I did get reminded that I very much enjoy these if I have a friend group built in to go hang out with and talk to after matches and everything of that sort. Um, turns out I'm a social person. Hey. What? You mean human beings are social societal entities? To be fair, some people are perfectly cool with going solo to these things. I'm not that kind of person. That's fair. I'll go to it solo. I just will be like, man, I really wish I had people to hang out with after the event. And so that's, why, that's why I was able to drive home at night because I was just like, I got no one to hang out with. I'm just going to go home. No yep. big deal. And it was fine because I didn't have to pay for a hotel. <laughs> Even better. Yeah. Anyway. Wonderful. Moving on because SCG Philly was a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to talk about Commander 2018 edition. So uh, there are four decks like last year uh, and they're just built around themes. There's nothing fancy about the themes. They're just themes. Uh, there's no other connection aside from that. Uh, there is a blue red artifact deck. A Jund, that's black, red, green, lands, matters deck. Uh, there is a Bant, that's a green, white, blue, enchantments deck. Dude, that deck and then there, fun. Yeah, it looks a lot of fun. That, uh, today was all the previews, uh, date of recording for the Bant enchantment deck. And then there is another, then there is an Esper top of the library matters deck, which is going to be really interesting to see how they try to, try to play off on that one. Yeah. So this also, by the way, is having commanders as planeswalkers again. Yep. Uh, this is another test balloon. Everyone feels they're sending up to basically nudge the uh, EDH rules committee to be like, yo, just make all planeswalkers legal as your commander. I mean, Especially, there might be a few that I'm gonna that I would be like, mm, maybe not. Well, I mean, but... they could they could just be like, hey, all planeswalkers are commanders with the exceptions of these now yeah but they don't do the band as commander list anymore so i don't know if that's yeah well i mean they taking giving them the legendary status debt or and retroactively giving it to all the planeswalkers definitely helps that whole it helps i agree um, but it's just one of those things that i don't know if the headache of a band as commander list for planeswalkers is worth it but anyways um we'll go ahead and go in order of uh the day of previews so the Blue-Red Artifact deck is a deck that players have been clamoring for for a while now. And uh, Sahili, Sahili Rai, was the, legendary, was the legendary Planeswalker from Kaladesh. And she kind of ate up that slot for a Blue-Red Commander because she was a Planeswalker and all that fun stuff. And Mark Rosewater acknowledged that and said, you know, we wanted to, but Sahili kind of ate that spot. So lo and behold, the Blue-Red Artifact deck this time is helmed by... Sahili. Uh, Sahili the Gifted. She's blue. She's two blue red for a legendary planeswalker, Sahili. Uh, she starts at four loyalty. She has a plus one. She has two plus ones. Uh, the first one is create a one one colorless servo artifact creature token. 
The other plus one is the next spell you cast this turn costs one less to cast for each artifact you control as you cast it. And then she has a minus seven that says for each artifact you control, create a token that's a copy of it. These tokens gain haste. Exile those tokens at the beginning of the next end step. Really playing into her whole thing of she likes to make beasts and other artifacts and whatnot. So very much in her wheelhouse. Her second plus one can be stone nutter butter busted. Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder like how often we're going to see like free blight steals or potentially free like Emrakuls or Eldrazi. Isn't Emrakul banned in Commander though? Not the promised end. Oh right. You can <laughs> cast the, the you can cast the other Titans. Are the other Titans banned? No, the only the only Eldrazi that's banned is um Eon's Torn. Is Eon's Torn. Okay. Still, you're casting like, you know, you can cast like a Kozlek or an Ulamog for yep. free. Not um great distortion but the other ones yes oh no no well yeah i, I meant like the og no i know i knew what you meant og kozilek and you can do uh new the hung, hungry mog yeah Which hung, is really hung, cool. hungry hungry hippo <laughs> hungry 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 hippo no um no she looks no, cool yeah she's really cool um planeswalkers as commanders is, have because i played like Duretti as a commander um it's an interesting kind of thing where you have a planeswalker as your commander, because you, you you basically remove one way for you to end the game, which is commander damage. And so you have to find other ways to make sure that you can win the game. Yeah, your deck literally has to be built around, I can still kill you regardless of my planeswalker not being able to do so. Now, if you had a planeswalker as a commander that could deal direct damage, then yeah. In, in combat damage. Yeah. Because um, commander damage it, is it would only... Have to be- it would have to be combat Gideon. damage. It would have to be like Gideon. Yeah, like Kithian um, can still do it because when he flips, uh, he's still technically your commander and he can kill you, kill people that way. Yeah, um, but that's but, yeah corner case. Regardless, so Regardless, she's she's cool. I yeah. like her. Yeah. What's next? Uh, in, in the same article that they previewed her, they previewed a card that I'm really oh man, I can't wait to see if this goes off. Is Retrofitter Foundry. Uh, Ian, what does Retrofitter Foundry do? So Retrofitter Foundry is a one-mana artifact at rare, and it has four cool little options on there. For three mana, untap Retrofitter Foundry. For two and tap, create a 1-1 colorless servo artifact creature token. For one tap, sacrifice a servo, create a 1-1 colorless thopter artifact creature token with flying. For tap, sacrifice a thopter, Create a 4-4 colorless construct artifact creature token. It literally upgrades it. Yep. Let me, let me upgrade you. That's why it's the retrofitter foundry, because it retrofits your things to be better things. Yeah, it's so good. It's very good. It It's another way to go infinite with infinite mana, which is, there's a million of those in Commander anyways, so I'm like, not surprised that, it is, that it's a little busted with infinite mana, but... Without Wait, is um paradox engine, paradox engine wouldn't care about this. Okay, because it's cast, right? Yeah, paradox engine is cast a spell, so cool. it won't it won't go infinite with retrofitter foundry on its own. Paradox um, engine still broken. Paradox engine is still very very good. Yes, but yeah, this uh, is a fun little card. Oh, it is. It's super fun. I think that it's going to see a little bit of play in maybe not the competitive uh, artifact decks, but definitely in a few of the just kind of. You normal artifact goes, decks. Goes right in Brea. She already comes along with a couple thopters. Uh, <laughs> anyways, 
Uh, next card we want to talk, I want to talk about is Varchild, Betrayer of Keldor. Uh, this is a one that is a old, old reference back in the magic story. Uh, Varchild is two and a red for a 3-3 human knight. They're a legendary creature. Uh, whenever Varchild, Betrayer of Keldor deals combat damage to a player, that player creates that many 1-1 red survivor creature tokens. Survivors your opponent's control can't block, and they can't attack you or Planeswalker you control. Basically, survivors are just scared of you as long as you as long as you have Varchild. Yeah. But when Varchild leaves the battlefield, you gain control of all survivors. It's a weird token card that gives your opponents tokens that can't attack you. But then, if Varchild ever leaves or dies or flickers or whatever, then you get all the survivors. I'm trying to remember what other card recently. It's like Assault Suit. Assault Suit does a similar thing where you pass around whatever's equipped to it. Well, yeah, no, but I'm saying it you. can't attack you. I, that's what I was saying. Like, they can't attack you or Planeswalker you control has, like, that kind of Assault Suit kind of clause on it. We'll get is, to another card that's very similar to that in a little bit. But Varchild's pretty cool. I yeah, like I think, it. Yeah, she's she's interesting. She's a, she, a lot of the token strategy cards that you'll see are about you making a bunch of tokens. And Varchild is not about make, about you making tokens. It's about your opponents making tokens, and then eventually you get the tokens. Yeah, I don't also know they're survivors, which is interesting. But I don't know what a what kind of deck you would really want to put this into. Well, that, this actually kind of ties in nicely to uh, another card that's on our list. Uh, a little bit further down our list is Brutaclad, Telcor Engineer. Um, Ian, what does Brutaclad do? <laughs> Brutaclad previously mentioned on the flavor text of another card but it is a four blue red four four artifact legendary artifact creature artificer at mythic and says creature tokens you control have haste at the beginning of combat on your turn create a two one blue mirror artifact creature token then you may choose the token you control if you do each other token you control becomes a copy of that token hey ian yeah what 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 phrase is that card missing? I don't know what. End of turn. Oh yeah, they just stick around. By the way, the card that I'm thinking of is Sarcomite Mirror from Future Sight. It's that two. Is and, it's a two and a blue two one artifact creature mirror. That Brutoclad is the um, flavor text person for that one. Basically, it was kind of like hinting at the Phyrexian future of... It was, I think it was hinting at Phyrexianizing Mirrodin, but it was also kind of referencing colored artifacts. Yeah. was the other thing. But, it, was, it was a two-fold. But because, we meant, because they mentioned Brutoclad in that one, they made the artifacts that you got off of Brutoclad as the two ones, so he's essentially making Sarcomite Mirrors without the flying ability that it can get. Yeah. Um, so, one of the things that I saw someone note with Brutoclad is... Oh man, I have a, you have a lot of clues. That's really cool. Oh my god, they just grew teeth. <laughs> you know what's also fun? What? Uh, putting this with Kiki Jiki or Helm of the Host. That also works too if you want to be like, you know. Helm of the Host make infinite Brutoclads. Oh lord. And the ones that you make, you, you got to make sure you make the copy off the Helm of the Hosted copy so that way they don't have legendary on it. Yep. And then you just like all the brute clads. Yeah. There you go. That's how it's busted. Remember, kids, just jam that in there. Have fun. Uh, But back to like referencing Varchild, you get all the survivors, and then you turn those survivors into mirrors. Whatever you want. Mirror, clues, angels, doctors, 
angels. Wrong color to make them angels. Um, if you're running Jeskai. Listen, I'm just thinking about blue red right now. But sure. <laughs> if you want Krakens. to go that route, you can like turn them. You can turn them into krakens. There we go. That's that's or the giant thing. or giant octopodes or or squid. Yeah, that works too. Yeah, many squids. Uh, yeah, the next card I think that we need to talk actually. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a good choice. The next card that we kind of have to talk about because we are running a little low on time and we want to make sure that we hit every deck at least once that's been previewed is Enchanter's Bane. Ian, Enchanter's Bane is, well, it's a card awesome. that we've all been wanting. Okay, so red doesn't usually deal well with enchantments. So what do we get? We get a one red enchantment. Wait, what? But yeah, anyway, it's a one red enchantment that says, at the beginning of your end step, target enchantment deals damage equal to its converted mana cost to its controller unless that player sacrifices it. So your opponent just played that lovely seven mana uh, Zendikar Resurgent. You either say you lose that or you take seven damage. Uh, this is also, since it's two mana, it's literally priced to move. So like this could easily see play in something like Legacy where people are trying to put Omniscience into play. Oh yeah, this is this card right here is going to see, is probably one of the, f- cards that has the best chance at seeing eternal format play yeah um and it's also go see play commander in red decks because one of the things that i dislike seeing as a red player is oblivion ring so now i can just say enchanter's bane do you want to take three or sacrifice your oblivion ring that's cool and or do it with other people who are doing like enchanted evening do you want to take five off your enchanted evening or do you want to sacrifice it yeah and the best part is is that you can literally target anything on the battlefield and yeah. it's cheap. Now, the downside, because yes. there is a downside, is that it says tar- it doesn't say may target. You must target an enchantment. So if there are no other enchantments on the battlefield, Enchanter's Bane must target itself. And then you have to ask yourself the question of, do I sacrifice Enchanter's Bane or do I take two damage? Yep. I honestly love this card. It's oh, great. It's great. It's, it's, it's going to be an interesting... Uh, card to kind of see how it how it moves not to mention steve prescott killed it with the art because it's like a it's like a blue little it looks like circle of protection a little it looks a little bit like a cop yeah yeah it looks like like a circle protection blue that's just warping back around to like just becoming a flame lance at the person inside the uh the circle it's so cool yeah uh, moving on to the next deck, we'll talk about the Jund Lands deck that's been getting a lot of jokes on social media because <laughs> many of the cards that have been previewed for it don't care about lands in the, the way that people want them to care about <laughs> lands. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, so what's the secret? We're getting all the weird stuff. Yeah, uh, but this is another uh, returning character from Magic's history. Uh, for those of you who've paid attention in the old, old story, uh, the face planeswalker is Lord Windgrace. He's one of the uh, Titans. Lo- Yep. But most not the Eldrazi. No, yeah, not one of those. Uh, one of the Titans. Most recently mentioned uh, re- or referenced in Dominaria with the Knights of Windgrace and Windgrace Acolyte. Um, he's a cat person. Yeah. So the first uh, Panther Warrior, I believe, is his actual title. Uh, he is two green or two black, red, green for a five loyalty Planeswalker Windgrace. Uh, he has a plus two that says discard a card, then draw a card. If a land card is discarded this way, draw an additional card. So you get to rummage. But get additional rummage. land dumping. Value. Yep. Uh, minus three, return up to two target land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Great when you're trying to mess with lands. So after you've dumped two of your lands out, you just minus 
three, so you're still at plus one off of his starting ability, so not yep. bad. And then minus 11 for the ultimate is destroy up to six target non-land permanents, then create six 2-2 green cat warrior creature tokens with forest walk. I mean, this card is just the epitome of Jund. Yep. It, it's a little bit of card advantage, a little bit of uh, attrition, and then blow up six things, make six cats. Yeah. It's it, very attrition-y. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be people who are going to love to uh, stick Lord Wingrace in their kind of uh, lands matters thing. You know, get some, yeah. get, get Rog Frog and Omnath going and you have a party. Yep. Um, another thing that we forgot to mention is that every deck has three commanders. Oh, there are three yeah, possible yeah. commanders with one card that's kind of not quite the commander. It's in the color identity, but it's it's missing a color to be the full commander. So in the Sahili deck, uh, that card is Varchild. Uh, in this, in Lord Wingrace's deck, uh, that card is Zancha, Sleeper Agent. And Ian, tell us what Zancha does. Oh, the flavor. <laughs> so good. Anyway, Zancha has been on another card. And that card was just called Sleeper Agent. Yep. But this is Zancha Sleeper Agent. So she actually gets named in this one. She is a one black red five five legendary creature minion. That's Sold. right. Five five for three. Sold. Cool. As Zancha Sleeper Agent enters the battlefield, an opponent of your choice gains control of it. Never mind. Zancha attacks each combat if able and can attack its owner's or Planeswalkers, its owner's control. Okay, back on it. Pay three. Zancha's controller loses two life, and you draw a card. Any player may activate this ability. Sold. She is so dang good. She's, hey, yeah. you know that you know that big mana player that is that is always at your table. You put this on the person that player hates, and then you just gave them a mana sink. Yep. That can kill their opponent. Yep. And they draw cards off of it. So you want to know the funny thing about Zancha? What? If she's your commander and you give her to your opponent. You can never she's win. Still a, she's, she's still, still a commander. She still does your commander damage? Yep. Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. She's uh, it's a. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot going on with Zancha. Okay. She's very interesting so from also a politics the, perspective. It's also the flavor thing I want to mention though is she was on the card Sleeper Agent originally. Now – little bit of Vorthos lore on her. She was a uh, Phyrexian newt that basically rebelled against the Phyrexians when she took human form as a, you know, became sympathetic to the humans, joined with Urza, hung out with him, blah, blah, blah. Originally, her card was Sleeper Agent, which is a, a one black, three, three. So it's a three, three for one. Minion, when it sleep when Sleeper Agent comes into play, target opponent gains control of it. At the beginning of your upkeep, Sleeper Agent deals two damage to you. That's not a race you're winning. No. Wasn't a great card, but the, you know, give it to an opponent, that kind of thing stayed. So anyway. Yes. She's really cool. Flavor's there. The art is just insane. It's got a Phyrexian tower in the background with yeah. that card up, kids. And Xantia has a interesting history in the story as well, which you are more than free to look up. Um, or we'll let the uh, the Vorthos cast uh, peeps take care of that. Yeah, those guys are really good. They um, are killing it. Um, what, I what are we think, talking about next, John? I hmm, let's see. I think we should talk about Reality Scramble. Okay, cool. Because this card is well, there's things going on with it. 
Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of cards. So there's a lot. Of, we have a, a huge list, but I talked a little too much about you know SCG. No, Philly, but you we're, talked we're, exactly the right amount about SCG. Yeah, so we're gonna we have, we do have more time to talk about the ones we didn't talk about next week. Yeah, of course. And anyway. then we'll be able to talk about the the fourth deck that hasn't been previewed yet as of time of recording. Yeah. So reality scramble. Oh boy, this is oh boy, John. It is two red red for a rare sorcery. It, it its art is just ridiculous. Allison Lures got the chance to preview this card, and my God, there's okay. So want the one with the anteater? And everyone's like, wait, what? Well, yeah, there's <laughs> yes. an anteater on this card. <laughs> there's an anteater. Just continue. An What's it read do? Book. Okay. Put target permanent you own on the bottom of your library. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card that shares a card type with that permanent. Put that card on the bottom and re- and and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So basically, it's a red polymorph. But John, That's- you forgot forgot the other thing on it. Oh, it has retrace. <laughs> which, if you don't know, what retrace does. Uh, you can pay the cost of the spell in your graveyard and discard a land to recast it. Um, so, so you can literally just you can literally just cast this out of your graveyard as long as you're discarding lands. Yep, uh, it is probably the most bonkers version of a polymorph style effect that we've seen in a very long time. So this do- and someone asked me, yes, this does work with tokens. Um, so if I have a creature token and I reality scramble the token, you'll put it on the bottom of your library, which causes it to fizzle, and then you'll reveal cards so you hit a till you hit a creature, put it into play. So basically, it's a red polymorph now. So your polymorph decks and commander can now be blue and red. And try to be and try to make like you know creature tokens, and then you polymorph them into big fatties or whatever it is. Yeah, and just the fact that they brought back retrace is just hilarious, and I'm so happy they're like yeah. There's a lot of cards um, in the set that bring back old mechanics. Like um, there's a card in the Sahili deck that brought back Metalcraft. There is a card in the Jun deck that has Awaken for Battle for Zendikar. There's another card in the Jund deck that has Landfall. Um, they brought back Improvise on a, on one of the cards in the Artifact deck. Uh, in the in the Bant deck, which we'll get to in a little bit, they brought back Bestow. Um, it's it's, it's it, they've just brought back a lot of interesting mechanics that they could do. They can do stuff like this on a Commander product where they can put like little ones or two ofs of named of old named mechanics and actually use them in new and interesting ways oh yeah and it's it's like the absolute perfect place to do this kind of thing you know yeah. you're not like you don't need to we're not going to put retrace in standard again for a while i mean they probably. could but well, i'm saying like we're not gonna we're like they would have to really jam it in there if they want to do a one or two of it's hard to do yep so yeah. i mean they did get around it with landfall by saying whenever the land enters the battlefield blah 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 they've done that in the last couple sets but but Retrace. actually putting like the name landfall on the card, it means something, you know? Yeah, it's like cool because you can actually, you know, search for it. <laughs> yeah. Now speaking of Bant, Ian, tell us what Estrid the Masked does. Oh man, I'm I'm looking forward to this deck. Uh Estrid the Mask. One, green, white, blue. So one in a Bant for a th- legendary planeswalker Estrid comes in with three loyalties. So you're getting a Three mana, three loyalty for four, but she's got a plus two, so don't worry. She comes in at five, uh, unless you want to minus her. But she's plus two. Untap each enchanted permanent you control. That is subtly powerful for a plus ability. So a lot of auras, basically, is what you're going to be looking here. Yeah. Minus one, create a white aura enchantment token named Mask attached to another target permanent. 
the token has enchant permanent and token armor. Now, token armor basically says that totem, totem, yeah. Oh, and token. You were saying token. Oh, it no, it says totem. You were saying token. Oh no, I meant to say totem, totem armor because it's yeah. a it's a token with totem armor. Yeah. So basically, to, totem armor uh, allows if the creature would be destroyed, you destroy the uh, enchantment instead. It kind of gives it like a protection bubble. Yep. Or and a regen Estric, shield, yeah. basically. Estric and can put her masks on any permanent, like yeah. lands or planeswalkers or whatever. And that combo is so nice with the plus two. So her minus seven says, put the top seven cards of your library into your graveyard. Return all non-aura enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Then do the same for aura cards. Yep. Literally just put all of your enchantments on the battlefield so basically, the non-aura enchantment cards are going to refer to some of the enchantment creature types that are in the best deck as well. So you can put some creatures on the battlefield and then put the auras on the creatures. That's why they layer it like that. It's really subtle and really cool. Yep. Um, it doesn't... Everyone's like, oh, it doesn't protect doesn't have to protect yourself. It's like, well, by the time you're probably playing her anyway, you've probably cast a couple of creatures and put a couple enchantments on it so you can... St- it swing in and it untap anyway, pseudo vigilance, I mean, whatever. Also, Lord Wingrace doesn't protect himself. Sahili sort of protects herself. Yeah. But also in Commander, protecting your planeswalker commander is slightly less important. Slightly. Because yeah, you're not worried too much about damage and there's other people that can take care of it for you potentially. Yeah. And yeah. But people like what we've seen so far of this Bant deck, it just looks so cool. Like I think that one of the cards that we that kind of has to get mentioned is in in my opinion is Kestia the Cultivator, who is one of the other commanders that you can play in the deck. She's one and a bant for a four four legendary enchantment creature nymph. Uh, she has bestow, which for those of you who didn't play during Theros, uh, many of the enchantment creatures had this had bestow, an alternate and, cast cost. Yeah, and bestows and bestows her bestow cost is three green white black green white blue. So for six mana, you can cast her as an aura. Instead of as a creature, uh, the enchanted creature just gets plus four plus four, which is her stats. But then she says, whenever an enchanted creature or enchantment creature you control attacks, draw a card. So Kestia fits very well into that same theme that Estrid is playing into, uh, where here you kind of want to go wide almost with Kestia, where that, and Estrid kind of plays in the same space where you want to put enchantments on many different things instead of suiting up one kind of uh, Voltron as we like to call it. Oh yeah. And then the other one from it kind of is Suvasa the Sunlit, which is just Bant for a 1-1, Merfolk Shaman legendary creature, but it gets plus one plus one for each enchantment you control. And then whenever you cast your first enchantment spell each turn, draw a card. So it's, you know... It's a pseudo enchantress? I mean, it's, it's, it's like a pseudo enchantress, but it gets swole off your other enchantments which is kind of cool. So of all of the decks, I think these three commanders play the best together. Unlike yeah. some of the other ones where you'll get like complete, like we didn't mention the Thantis the Warweaver, which kind of is like, okay. Yeah, it's a Jund, it's like a 5-5 five, five for 5. Yeah, and then, and then you and, have the, yeah. the legendary other Jund Hydra that's like, doesn't even play well with other Hydras, which is kind of weird. But yeah, the, these three all work nicely together. Um, yeah. I'm, this so far is like probably my jam. Also, I'm pretty sure Tuvasa is from Ixalan. Pretty sure. Uh, no, it is. It's the other... Tuvasa actually is mentioned in some of the flavor text 
Uh, oh, perfect. Yeah, Sivas is the other um, I wasn't watcher. Going she, mad. They're, the, they're, they're the other watcher. Oh, there you go. That's good. Like, uh, what's what's it called? Oh, um, Kumana. No, not Kumana. Yeah, no, Kumana. Well, there's yeah, Kumana, there's a, and then there's also Tashana. Yeah, and then there's there, there's four of them. Tuvasa is the other one. So we finally got the other card for the other Merfolk okay, Shaman, perfect. which is kind of cool. Yep. Yeah. That's why it's a Merfolk Shaman. If you yeah. look at it, it's like it screams, I'm on Ixalan. So, but yeah. Yep. That's pretty cool and with that one. That and brings then, us to the fourth deck, which is uh, he- which we know is helmed by uh, Amanato, because Gavin Verhey mentioned each of the uh, Planeswalkers that are going to be the head of these decks. Um, and the way that Gavin talked about Amanato from a flavor perspective is that she's like, she can rewrite histories. And it's like, come on. You don't need to have someone who can just like rewrite history at the snap of their fingers. That's Even a, if they are in Esper colors, come on, we can it's do better. It's a pretty powerful ability to have, like, story-wise. Apparently, there's another one yeah. of those kind of creatures in lore. Commander... Yeah, I believe it was Commodore Guff. Gruff or, Commodore Guff, that's it. And everyone's just like, oh, great, why didn't we just call Commodore Guff or whatever. Aminatu is a... Well, she we... Looks we like, she looks like she's, like, 10. Yeah, this is a Seb McKinnon original. Um, Seb McKinnon doesn't normally get Planeswalkers, but, oh, boy. Yeah, when they go oh, to Seb McKinnon, when they go to Seb McKinnon for Macabre, you get some choice, choice art, and yeah. good lord. I mean, Aminato has been leaked. We're not going to talk about her abilities yet, um, but... She, she will have been officially previewed by the time that this podcast will go up. Yeah, um, we'll talk about her next week, but... Yeah, but we'll talk about her and, and the deck's theme, which is Top of the Library Matters, which is... A really esoteric theme, and there's a lot of cards that you want that I can already see wanting to play in that silo deck that don't fit guessing, color identity. I'm guessing we're going to see a lot of scry. Definitely a lot of scry. Definitely scry, scry X is going to be in that deck a lot. I can. Well, like, I want to play Corsair of Crufix or Melek. Is it Paragon in this deck? And I can't. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Corsair Crufix. Corsair Crufix could always go in the Bant deck, uh, or in the Jun deck, or why not both? Porcanolos Dose. Hey, 4K, this is literally things. just, you know, these yeah. are just the pre-cons. Build it as you will. Exactly. A lot of, lot of room to improve. But that takes care of some of the previews that we'll spend next week talking about a little bit more of them um, because there were a lot more that we didn't get to. And then we also didn't get to the uh, the watermark debacle. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk. Yeah, we will talk about one next week. We'll make a note to be sure to talk about that. But yeah. basically... Don't worry about it. We'll talk about it next week. Yeah, it's some shenaniganery. Don't worry. <laughs> I about like it. using that word. But Sh- John, yeah. of the three that we've seen so far, of, of the cards you've seen, what do you like so far about this? Uh, I think I want the Sahili deck. Like, I think all the decks look really sweet. Um, I have a mono green lands deck um, that Lord Wind Grace would love to kind of uh, consume. Um, and then I thought about playing like Enchantress decks, and Estrid might be the push to actually play that deck. Um, I don't know what I'm what I think about the top of the library matters deck unless it's just gonna end up being like Esper Control. Uh but I like Sahili the Gifted, I like a lot of the cards in it. Uh, like we didn't even get to talk about probably the most fun card in the set, Treasure Nabber. Oh my god. Um we'll talk about him next card. week. So good. Arden, that's so good. Um but there's a lot. I think that this is another another example where the commander set just kind of it hits a home run. It knocks it out of the park and it knows it, it does exactly what it's gonna do. And I think it's gonna be great. Yeah, I'm, oh. I'm personally liking the Bant deck. Um, I would love to build an Enchantress deck. However, you know, 
to power it up, I guess you could say, with putting the cards that, you know, actually would be optimal. Like making the. Good I'm, luck I'm finding person- up a lessons. I like optim. Yeah, I know. I like optimizing decks. So I yeah. want an optimal land base. I yeah. want, you know, I, I'll, I will stoop to some lesser effects if I need to money wise, but getting a Sarah Sanctum is going to be so expensive. Yeah. That's the uh, Urza Saga land that it's like. It's the Telerian Academy for enchantments. Yeah, it taps and adds white to your mana pool for the number of enchantments you control. And that yep. card's $190 now because it's reserve list. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Opalescence Replenish, that, that my, card's gonna my be only big thing stupid is I'm looking deck. through the, the previews and I don't see a lot of cube cards yet. But that's, I'm sure that's we'll- a personal problem. <laughs> yeah that sounds like a you problem john yeah no, well um it's, oh, it's, I, I it's just not a terrible problem unpowered cube because treasure nabber is going to be absurd in powered cube oh my god let yeah, me well, tell you <laughs> there are some cards that will be outright ridiculous in in uh in some in a of the, powered environment in a powered environment yeah you're looking but for anyways. your you're looking for your your less your less pricey cubes but yeah so uh yeah i'm liking i'm it. liking it so far uh i'm probably gonna just pop a down payment on all of the decks just because it's funny the years that i've not gotten all of the decks are the years where like those are the stone nutter butters yep um what's fun what's funny is like i just completely took apart the pricey cards out of those other decks that i've never played with (laughs) i don't know yeah it's like the one year i wanted i I wanted the four color commander ones and i was like man i'm not gonna get them and of course now i want all the cards out of them so Happens. Sounds about right. Anyway, anyways, wrap if, it up. Ian, if people wanted to find you on the social medias and tell you about how you're wrong for liking Bant Enchantments, where can they do so? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys can find me on Twitter at DixonIJ. That's D-I-X-O-N-I-J. You guys can also find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix. That's D-I-X. Uh, no streams yet. I'm still waiting on my household goods to come this weekend. And when they do, I'll finally have my second monitor and a third monitor ready to set up. So I'm going to be getting that all squared away. And then maybe streams will return in the week or two to follow. The streams will continue when morale improves. Streams will continue when personal gear arrives. (laughs) That too. Anyway, John, where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at jwiley129. That's J-W-I-L-E-Y-129. You can also find me on Twitch at the same handle. I got a new job. Uh, I am I am a security guard at a hotel here in downtown Nashville. Hey. Um, we are currently working 12s, uh, which is rough. Oof. So 6A to 6P, uh, which means that a lot of my time is either spent at work or returning from work or going to work and sleeping. So hopefully yeah, hopefully I've done, I've done those twelve on twelve offs before. They're uh Yep. But yeah, hopefully fine. we're gonna get to a more normal schedule at some point where I'm working like eights and we'll and I'll have more time for other things. That's hey. not that's not podcasting. But we'll see. <laughs> um Oh yeah. And also in we're we're kind of it might not go into effect next week, but coming up we will be switching recording dates and release dates to recording on Tuesdays and releasing on Wednesdays because my local game store has Legacy on Wednesday nights and I want to go play some Legacy. That which is which I am totally okay with. Um, and we already also talked about it. <laughs> we already yeah we already discussed this. Um, and then maybe um, I thought about whether or not I was still debating whether we release on Thursdays, but you know 
sitting on it for a day does seem a little awkward, but anyways, that's a fixable problem. Yeah. Um, if you want to reach the podcast directly, there are two ways that you can do so. You can, you can find us on Twitter at Eyes in the Mize, or if you have a more personal question, you can send us an email at eyesinthemize at gmail.com. We would love how to hear we how we would love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for you all, our lovely listeners. I've already gotten a few uh, glowing reviews of our episode last or our previous episode with which was Doug, Vinny, and I recapping our RPTQ performance, and I haven't picked up a standard deck since. <laughs> yeah, which we'll was see. fine though. But anyway, we'll see you guys. Anyways, on behalf of Ian, I'm John. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to y'all next time. Mm-hmm.